Hello and welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas. This last Monday evening, we heard the sad news of the passing of Olivia Newton-John, who has died from cancer aged 73. Battling with breast cancer for decades, she died peacefully at her California home. Olivia was best known, of course, for playing Sandy in one of the most successful film musicals in history, Grease, the biggest box office hit of 1978. But she did so much more than that. As a country singer, she sold millions of records. I've been listening to the tributes that have been pouring in over the last few days. Her Grease co-star John Travolta said she made all of our lives so much better. Actress Stockard Channing, who played Rizzo in Greece, said, I don't know if I've ever known a lovelier human being. Olivia was the essence of summer, her sunniness, her warmth and her grace are what always come to mind when I think of her, I will miss her enormously. And then on Tuesday morning, Peter Andre, speaking on BBC Breakfast, picked up the theme that was chorused by so many in their tributes. She was kind. So very many said that. She lit up the room with her kindness. And this was not just about her attitude. Campaigning for breast cancer awareness and raising huge sums of money, she made a difference with concern, action, kindness. May she rest in peace. Kindness in the way we treat others, in the priority that we plan in our lives. In the wake of this sad news, let's focus on the simple, profound, world-changing effect of kindness. He was a retired headmaster, a ramrod upright, staunchly moral chap whose starched shirt seemed to express his creaseless morality. We could always count on him to contribute to a prayer meeting. His prayers were rich tapestries of praise, skillfully woven words of adoration mingled with scripture, spoken in a quaint Edwardian style, overlaid by his rich Yorkshire accent. Yet these were never speeches of the prey and display kind. Underneath his awesomely white shirts beat a tender heart for the Lord Jesus. I was just 21 and a fledgling pastor. Visitation meant that I was obliged to pop in and see the older folks in the church once in a while. I would listen to their aches and pains liturgies, drink endless cups of excessively milky tea, and then pedal on my bike to the next house. I desperately tried to be sympathetic to their rheumatic challenges, but I still listened to their problems with the immortal ears of youth. I also felt slightly uncomfortable in my role, trying somehow to be a shepherd to people who'd been on the planet four times longer than I'd been alive. My clerical collar rubbed uncomfortably on my neck, like a shiny fairy liquid bottle biting into me, causing me to sweat. And sometimes my role as a young minister felt like it chafed and rubbed as well. I used to visit the elderly headmaster and his wife occasionally, and the routine never changed. I would sip my tea and blather on about nothing relevant, and he and his good lady would listen, bright-eyed and attentive, as if I was dispensing pearls of wisdom like Solomon on a good day. Our time at an end, I would pray for them both. But before I was allowed to leave, he would always ask the same question. May we pray for you, Pastor? And then he and his wife would come and stand by the green sofa and place their hands gently upon my head. 
for 20 minutes or so, they would thank God for me and ask for blessings of every conceivable variety. Finally, when it came time to say goodbye, they would hug me and he would place a kiss on my cheek. That holiest of kisses meant a lot. This man was a scholar of scripture. He could have easily taken my sermons apart, sentence by sentence, leaving them like a chateaued Meccano set on the floor. He could have told me about other churches that had been part of through the years that were stunningly effective, far more than our own. And he could have used our time to let me know that the music in our meetings was too loud, too long, unfamiliar, unhelpfully accompanied by those oh-so-loud drums. But instead, he kissed me on the cheek. Again, a truly holy kiss. The elderly headmaster is currently weaving together prayers in heaven. He died years ago. But I still feel the light impression of his kindness. And on darker days, I remember his kindness, and I'm stronger because of his enduring but simple legacy. With kind words, kind actions, prayers prayed because of care, sacrificial service, let's be kind. The late afternoon sun was wonderfully warm on our backs as we filed through the turnstiles, our day at Colorado's water world at an end, or so we thought. We'd screamed, slid and splashed our way down dozens of chutes and raft rides, and now our bodies ached with the pleasant feeling of tiredness that tops off a good day of fun. We picked our way through the hundreds of cars. Our vehicle was easy to spot, loaded down as it was with all our bags and suitcases. We'd been on an extended trip, and although our car had no kitchen sink within it, we did seem to have a lot of stuff. As we approached the car, my feeling of sleepy peace was suddenly shattered, as was the driver's window of our car. We'd been robbed, out of a sea of hundreds, perhaps thousands of cars, ours had been selected. Glass littered the concrete. My heart sank like lead. Tearfully, frantically, we checked our bags to see what had been stolen. Most things were intact. A laptop computer, which I'd foolishly left sitting on the back seat, had been ignored. Perhaps the thieves had been disturbed and had beat a hasty retreat. But there was a crucial item missing a bag that contained Kay's jewellery together with our passports and the valuable resident alien cards, called green cards, even though they're blue. These are proof that we're entitled to live in America. Our airline tickets, remember those? Well, they were gone too. Obviously, without passports, we would not be able to return to the UK. We would have to fly to Los Angeles to the British Embassy there to get them replaced and then on to Portland, Oregon to get replacement alien cards at the American Immigration Building there. All of this would have to be done in the next day or two and would cost us thousands in airfares. We were devastated. Our daughter Kelly stomped around the car park, hoping that maybe she would find the passports that had been discarded by the fleeing robbers, but... It was without success. Richard, our son, got on the phone to the police and Kay wept with frustration. This was going to totally destroy our holiday. And for one rare moment in my life, I didn't panic but felt a rush of inspiration and faith. 
Understand, dear listener, that this can be a rarity for me. Kay usually has the responsibility to be calm in a crisis and be filled with faith. In the partnership that is ours, I usually accept the role of panic-stricken, uptight and agitated reactor, a role that I play with ease. It comes very naturally to me. But on this occasion, loathe that I am to admit it in case you think me smug, I didn't feel panic at all, but sensed that all was going to be well. I gathered the family around and made an announcement that must have seemed like insanity. I think we should all pray that we will get this stuff back in the next 24 hours, I announced, the wildness of the statement beginning to dawn on me even as it came out of my mouth. Let's ask God to help us. He can do it. Now, I don't know if it was just wishful thinking or a genuine gift of faith, but I said it anyway, and right there in the car park, our feet crunching on the broken glass, we put our request in to God. Please get our stuff back. The police arrived, took our details, and told us that hell was likely to freeze over before we got our stuff back. Passports were very saleable, and anyway, mused the officer, those thieves will be miles away from here by now. We were advised to immediately plan the trip to the West Coast to replace the stolen documents and be quick about it. We drove to our hotel, the wind blasting now through the shattered window. A quick call to the British Embassy, answered by an official who had a master's degree in blatant unhelpfulness, confirmed our fears. We would, all four of us, have to make the journey. But we had prayed, so we decided not to allow the fund that had kissed the early part of the day to be stolen along with our passports, and we did have a wonderful evening together. The next morning, we decided to go to the airport to report the loss of our tickets. The ticket clerk tapped away on her keyboard for a minute or two, and then everything changed. The sun came out from behind the clouds as she spoke. I have good news for you, she said. Your passports, alien cards and air tickets have been found. They were discovered in a bush by a passerby yesterday. Here's his number. He's eager to meet you. Here, make the call now. Breathless with excitement, I called our good Samaritan. Apparently, the thieves had dumped our document wallet some miles from the water park. In that, at least, the policeman had been right. The wallet could have lain at the side of a road or under a bush for years, or perhaps never have been discovered. But this knight in shining armour of ours, brimming with kindness, he'd seen something sticking out under the bush at the back of his home, and realising just how important these documents were, he immediately went to work. He called the police to report the find, who casually told him that they would stop by in the next few days to pick the wallet up. They didn't connect our reported loss with his reported find at all, but he was impatient with that, and he told the police not to bother. He would track us down himself. Finding a receipt from a hotel, he called there, only to be told that we had checked out days earlier. Undeterred, he called some friends of ours in Oregon. Their card was in the wallet, but they had no idea where we were or how to contact us. He then realised that we were from England, found some UK phone numbers that we'd written down and were in there too, and he began to systematically call those transatlantic numbers in a desperate and diligent search to track us down. These were days when a transatlantic phone call would cost a lot of money. Finally, discovering the airline tickets, he called the airline and had them put a note into our computer reservation so that when we checked in, we would receive the wonderful news. 
I drove across the city, thanking God all the way. We were to get everything back except a couple of items of jewellery within 24 hours. But we did so because one man went the extra mile. He greeted us like long-lost friends. We bought him dinner, a somewhat feeble attempt to express our thanks for the timely rescue operation that he'd mounted. He didn't know us from a bar of soap, but had simply decided to go out of his way to be kind. As we parted with handshakes and hugs, we thanked God for answering our prayers and doing so through a stranger's decision to be kind. As we remember Olivia Newton-John's reputation for kindness, let's be kind today. As we've been thinking about the late Olivia Newton-John and her wonderful reputation for kindness that's been celebrated by so many in the last few days, we're reminded not only to be kind, but also to recall the truth that our God is a God of loving kindness. That phrase comes from the Old Testament, the Hebrew word hased, and it speaks to the truth that our God is not only gracious, merciful, holy, loving, but he's also kind. And as I reflect back on decades of walking with him, I am staggered by the kindness that he's expressed to me. How do we impact our world, our culture, our families, our friends, our churches? Well, it can seem so very simple But the truth is, it's not just by our talents, our attributes, our gifts, but also by our character. Simple acts of random and planned kindness. We can change our world too. Don't forget, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at lucasonlife at premier.org.uk. See you next time. Focus on life.